0: Travis Hornsby founded Student Loan Planner after helping his physician wife navigate ridiculously complex student loan repayment decisions. He helps us parse through the complexity of optimizing your student loan repayment strategies. He gives us an overview of the different repayment systems, who qualifies and who doesn't, and why it seems like nobody qualifies right now. We get a little political as he predicts what's going to happen to the current system, as well as the student loan forgiveness the Democrats are all debating about. To date, Student Loan Planner has consulted on over half a billion in student debt. Travis is a chartered financial analyst and brings his background as a former bond trader, trading billions of dollars. He brings that same intensity to analyzing the best repayment paths for graduate degree professionals with six figures of student debt. Student Loan Planner has helped over 2,000 clients save over $100 million on their student loans.
1: Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block.
0: Travis Hornsby, thanks so much for being on the show today. Great to be on. Thanks for having me. So tell us your origin story. how did you get into the student loan space?
2: Sure. So my wife actually, now wife, had her in 2014, 2015 timeframe, and she was in her last year fellowship. And she had you know, a small six-figure amount of student loan debt. And I thought, okay, well, I can figure this out. I'm a bond trader. Let me make a model. So I did. And then I realized that there was something called public service loan forgiveness. And so I did a little bit more digging, and we sent in the paperwork to Fed FedLoan to see, you know, what kind of credit she had. And I was pretty confident that she would, she would have about six or seven years worth of credit. So she only would need to work another three years, or four years, and get it forgiven completely. And then we got the papers back. And on one set of loans, she had three years of credit. And another set of loans, she had one month of credit. And it just made absolutely no sense. And it was just so agonizing, so frustrating, that you know, she didn't have any credit at all on her loans when you know, it seemed like she really should have. And so I, then I just, we just decided, you know what, let's just go ahead and just refinance this thing. And just, we're going to move it over to, to a private lender, get a lower interest rate. And so that's what we did. And um, I just thought, well, this is so frustrating. Cause if she gotten the right advice to begin with, if this never would happen to us and she would have gotten, you know, a lot of her debt forgiven since her interest was academic medicine anyway. And so she told her friends about my spreadsheet. said that I needed to help them. And then why not go ahead and charge them like some sort of nominal fee for it? And I said, okay, well I'll try this out. And at the time, I decided to quit my job, travel the world a little bit, and just kind of fell into doing this. When I decided I was blogging at the time, decided to focus more on just student loan debt, and I had a couple articles go viral, and just made it my full time focus after that point. When you know she decided to get a, a full time attending job, and I. Didn't have anything to do because I was sort of an early retiree, playing around with spreadsheets and, and writing in my spare time. So you
0: tried to retire early, but then get sucked back in.
2: I sure did. Yep i I was a, uh, I wrote an ill fated book. Twenty five is the new sixty five, and uh, you know, with the idea that I'd saved a whole lot of money being a bond trader in a fairly short amount of time, and thought it'd be really, really cool to to try this early retirement lifestyle. And I realized that I don't necessarily hate working. It was just that was not the right fit for me. I mean, that was just not my calling. So after, you know, about a year and a half off from a traditional kind of work environment, I started student loan planner and and uh now we're up to maybe like six hundred fifty million dollars of student loans advised. So that's not too bad for a a second career for a retiree, right?
0: So so you were you felt that bond trading wasn't the right thing for you. So so us for us in medicine, that that might seem Well, a little opaque, even what a bond trader is. Let me just make sure I understand it. So I know that's not what we're gonna talk about today, but I just I just think it's interesting. So a bond is basically a loan that a company takes out in order to be able to grow their business. And there's a certain amount of interest on that loan. And so your job as a bond trader is to try and figure out how much interest they're gonna pay on future loans so that you can trade one for the other.
2: Yeah, so for, I'll give you an example. So I had traded for huge mutual funds, right? So let's uh, let's pretend like the Vanguard Tax Exempt Bond Fund. So they're investing in a whole bunch of debt for cities and states and projects that are kind of run by municipal agencies. And the problem is, is maybe let's say you've got a bridge over the over the Hudson River that's backed by the toll revenue that the people get from driving across it. That bond, that security of that bond is going to have a different level of security than, say, a, a very low, below investment grade rated toll road in the middle of a random part of Texas, right? So you're, you're not entirely sure if the money is actually going to pay you fully back for that toll road in Texas, but you're really positive that the bridge across the Hudson River is going to be very safe, right? So those are different credit ratings, and then so you have to figure out like what the credit extra interest rate you should get paid to take on that riskier bond is, and then you're going to invest in one over the other. And so basically, you buy and sell that kind of stuff all day to manage money for large, in a mutual fund case, a large pool of investors. So I traded about $10 billion worth of of municipal debt when I was a bond trader for some of the large mutual funds out there in that category. And it was really interesting. It was definitely intellectually stimulating. But it didn't necessarily fulfill that life purpose category. So I know so many physicians. I mean, obviously, some physicians do struggle with burnout, but a lot of them have this great passion that they're really excited they get to help people, right? So I just didn't feel like that part of me was was there, and so I just felt like the right thing to do was since I had a high savings rate was to try to take this risk and you know do a early retirement. I guess looking back on it with the benefit of hindsight, it was really more of a sabbatical. But uh, but at the time, I really felt like I just needed that clean break, just. it's the reset button.
0: So I could see how what you're doing now, helping students to uh, say goodbye to their loans could be a lot more fulfilling.
2: Yeah. and And that's the thing is when you're investing in municipal bonds, you're very well off from an income perspective, at least, usually a wealth perspective, too. So you don't necessarily need that much deep help in the sense because you've already won the game, right? But a student loan borrower is somebody that in a lot of cases is suffering from severe anxiety. They are delaying marriage and housing and child rearing decisions and having kids decisions just because of the fact that they have tons of debt. And the stuff that I kind of learned trying to help my wife, I realized was widely applicable and could have a bigger impact in the world than if I was a really good bond trader because there's plenty of very smart people out there that want to make money and can be very good bond traders.
0: Yeah, you're really you're really filling a need here, and I'm sure everyone that you've dealt with really really appreciates that. So let's get in let's let's try and convince some more of our listeners to uh, to use your help. So you know the first half of the White Coat Investor and you know the the Millionaire Next Door really teach us to live below our means. So I I don't think we need to talk about that today, right? If you want to pay back your student debts, stop spending all your money. Great we've got that out of the way. So now let's talk about the the nuts and bolts and the brass tacks of actually paying back your debt most efficiently. Now you that you've got this the resident you're going to keep the resident lifestyle for a couple of years. Great. Okay. So first question is what's the difference between refinancing and consolidation? And what are any pitfalls of either of those that we should look out for?
2: Sure. Well, the word consolidation just means that you're taking a bunch of different things and putting it into, into one thing, right? So a lot of times people will use those words interchangeably where I don't like to do that because I think it should mean something very distinct. So private re, you know, refinancing or just refinancing in general means taking your federal loans or private loans and sending them to a new private lender. So that's taking all the federal options, all the forgiveness off the table when you do that. Now, you do that because you either can get a lower interest rate or you're, hopefully this is not the case for physicians, but you're struggling with the monthly payment. You need a monthly, a lower monthly payment. The consolidation aspect is when you take a bunch of federal loans, then you combine them into a federal direct consolidation loan. And the reason you do that is, there's a few reasons. One might be getting qualification for, loan forgiveness programs and repayment programs if you have some old loans that don't qualify for all the, the best, newest stuff. And then another reason would be to just make things easier from an administrative record-keeping perspective because it's a lot easier to keep track of two loans or one loan for a loan servicer than 25. And then the last reason would be if you just graduated residency, then or just graduated from medical school, medical school rather, you can speed up that PSLF payment count by about four months. So you can get that you know, payment count started a little bit sooner, which saves you payments as an attending. So that's sort of the, the high level of, of the difference between the two.
0: So I think we can break this up, and correct me if I'm wrong, we can break this up into two arms. One would be just lowering the interest rate, right? You still have to pay back all of your debt, but you can get a lower interest rate. And then the other arm would be not having to pay back all of your debt. And so the first one sounds the simplest, right? That's the refinancing. If you're not in a position to have loan forgiveness then you why wouldn't you just pay at the lowest interest rate? Is there are there any recommendations or advice that you have for someone who is looking to just go that route?
2: Just the refinancing route you mean? Yeah. Yeah, so I would just say be careful that you don't focus on your refinancing uh, and your student loans to the you know exclusion of everything else that's important in your life. It's very important as soon as you get out of training that you maximize your 401k or 403b plans, You know that you're maximizing your health savings account, your 457, and you're also setting aside a little bit of money into a brokerage account with an automated contribution. The reason for that is because eventually your student loan debt will be gone whether it's through forgiveness or full repayment, but the habits that you're going to develop like automatic contributions to a non-retirement account and maximizing the pre-tax accounts that you have, those kind of habits are what can make somebody truly wealthy. And if you develop those habits early, you know, I don't have a problem with people focusing most of their energy on their student loans. that They want to pay it back and refinance, but I would just hesitate people that are just chomping at the bit that they just throw all of their money at the debt. I kind of don't like that approach. So that said, Right now, the longer part of the term structure, I'm going to try to say that in a different way, the 10, the 15, and the 20-year rates right now for student loan refinancing by far offer the best value because it has lower required payments than, say, a five-year would. And in a lot of cases, the difference in the interest rate is not that great because the yield curve, which is what you—you you know the government borrows at, is pretty much the same across all these different terms that you you know for different years that you lock your money up for. So because of that, I'm seeing some rates right now below five percent in 20 years. That hasn't happened in probably two or three years. I mean like the last time that was happening was probably when I first maybe started doing this. And there was a little bit of a question as to whether or not the economy was on fire or not. So so I would just say for somebody refinancing, check several places, you know, get the cashback bonuses. You don't need to apply directly because these referral partners like myself and you mentioned the White Coat Investor and others, we have the the best refinancing bonuses in the business. So just get one of those and refinance probably to a 10 to 20-year term first and pay down a bunch of the debt because there's no prepayment penalties. And then maybe refinance it again to a five-year once you pay down a bunch and there's a little bit less of a risk committing to a five to $7,000 a month payment like you'll get with most five-year plans.
0: Great, and it's interesting that you you brought that up about the behaviors because the next episode that we're going to put out is actually an interview with Sarah Stanley Fala who's who is a behavioral. She's a she she has a PhD in industrial psychology, and so she helps financial advisors to get their clients to to help them analyze their behaviors. So we're going to talk about the behaviors that physicians are famous for not having that, that will help us build wealth. So we're definitely going to be going to be taking a deep dive into that. So I, I really appreciate how you're encouraging your your clients to really start that, start those behaviors early. We had a podcast a while ago with Monique Tello who wrote a book about habit development. And so, right, starting those habits early are going to make them stickier. So that's, that's just fantastic. So with the different repayment options and uh, not repay, but the, the loan forgiveness, right? There there are a lot of acronyms out there in medicine. We love acronyms, even ones that don't really make much sense. But there, there's PSLF, and then there's what is it? We Pay, Repay, ReFi, Wi-Fi. It's all just so confusing. So I can see why your your wife's friends were were desperate for help. We're all desperate for help. So can you start? like do they all fall under one umbrella and then there are different types for different people? How can you help us clarify this?
2: Yeah, so so REPAY and PSLF are the only two acronyms that were real on that list. But right. uh, uh,
0: I was testing you and you passed, thank you.
2: Yeah, so so basically the, the acronyms, I mean, yeah, it can get confusing. What, what I would tell people is this, if for, for income-driven programs, REPAY and PAY are the two best plans. So those are the two ones that you generally need to focus on. There's some exceptions, but those are generally the two best ones. And at a high level, it's just 10% of your income, okay? And then there's some tricks that you can do if your spouse has no student loan debt and you don't want to include your spouse's income in the payment, there's some tax filing tricks that you can legally do to exclude your spouse's income from the payment. So that's what you need to know about those things. Now, that's just a payment plan, okay? Loan forgiveness is is a strategy. That's not a payment plan, that's a strategy. So, for example, refinancing it, repay or pay, those are all repayment plans. You have to choose one of those first. And then you need a strategy. And so what I would classify PSLF as is, is a strategy. So you will need to do pay or repay. And then with the idea of pursuing PSLF, right? So a lot of times people are like, oh, I'm in the PSLF plan. And it's like, well, actually, no, you're not. You're you're using a specific repayment plan to qualify for it. And that's what your plan is, is to use this program. So the the reason why that's important is because you have three paths as a physician. You can go for a full repayment, which in most cases means refinancing. There's some exceptions like people that went to medical school in the mid-2000s have some 2 and 3% rates the government gave them back then. So they're not paying their, that, that off. But uh, for most people, it's going to involve refinancing and paying it off in full. There's PSLF, which is the 10-year program where you're paying based on your income and it's forgiven tax-free. And then there's the last one, which is the 20- or 25-year taxable forgiveness option which is actually very useful for especially primary care physicians that owe a lot of debt that are in the private sector, and that's a taxable, you know, forgiveness program.
0: I'm uh, I'm still confused. So just just for for reference here, I was one of those students in the mid two thousands that had an interest rate at a, a little below three percent. So student loan forgiveness was not something that was necessary in my situation. So I'm this is this is first time information for me. Okay, so. So if you if you have someone who's who's getting introduced to this like how do you figure out if you're going to go repay or pay who qualifies who doesn't how, how do you how do you parse through that
2: Yeah everybody qualifies for repay and IBR is is the one that's 15% of your income so, you know, everybody qualifies for repay and IBR. Pay is the only one that you don't like. You only qualify for that if you were a new borrower after uh, 2007. So October 2007. So if you qualify for all, for all three, which is most people these days that are graduating, then what you want to do is figure out, are you really, really sure you're going to do PSLF? If the answer is yes, you need to do the pay plan. You know, the, people talk about interest subsidies and things like that. You don't need the interest subsidies if you're very sure you're going to go for PSLF. This repay program is one that they give you subsidies on the interest while you're in training, You know, assuming you're not married to a super high income earner. So the, the repay plan is really good for, two, for a couple kinds of people. If you're not sold in the idea that you're going to be a not-for-profit or academic physician, you might do private practice and you're thinking or you're just, you just know that you're going to be a private practice uh, physician, then the repay plan is a better plan. So that encompasses a whole lot of people out there in the physician world, not everybody, but I tend to not suggest people refinancing during residency because generally the effective interest rate after you kind of take into account some of the subsidies with these programs, the effective interest rate is generally better on the repay plan that you'll get with refinancing, even as a resident. So and,
0: and you can't refinance and then do these plans because once you've refinanced, you've taken your loans away from the government and given them to a private borrower who wants you to pay them back.
2: Yeah. And you know, again, like the behavioral stuff, so much of finance is behavioral, right? But there but a lot of times these behaviors can really blow you up. And I'll just give an example. I saw one Facebook group with a bunch of physicians, this person was so excited that she had refinanced and she was at a not for profit lender and she was just uh, sorry, not-for-profit uh, employer, and she was encouraging others to do the same because of the anxiety that waiting on the PSLF program caused her. And I understand that from an emotional standpoint, for sure. But the problem is, is you know, being a bond trader, we're t- trained to be very rational and look at the, a problem in math only. And mathematically, that's a really stupid decision. And so the reason for that is, let's pretend that we know absolutely nothing about this PSLF program at all, So that means there's 50% chance that it happens and a 50% chance that it doesn't. If you, people talk about refinancing, you know, you're allowed to pay back your debt with the government and not refinance. You'll just do it at a higher interest rate. So on, as a kind of a rule of thumb, you will pay about 10% of your balance extra in interest if you pay the loan back with the government versus refinance it. So for example, if you have a $500,000 balance, then you'll pay an extra 50 grand approximately, you know, very rough rule of thumb here by not refinancing when you should have. Okay. So that's your, your, your downside risk. If PS goes away, if it does happen though, then that $500,000 would probably grow while you're making these small payments. And so you'd probably get like 500 to $600,000 of tax-free forgiveness. So if you have a 50% chance of a $50,000 loss and a 50% chance of a $500,000 loss, it's clearly stupid from a math perspective to refinance and take the potential of that $500,000 win off the table, right? Right.
0: Yeah, I but but you know, a lot of this a lot of these behaviors also come from not totally understanding the system, right? Which is where you come in. These systems are not are clearly not so easy to understand. There's also the situation of, you know, it's it's more painful to give away money that is already in your hand, right? If you if you're punishing like like the way taxes are paid if you never see it in your paycheck it's it's not as painful as getting like a k1 and then having getting paid and then having to pay the government back it's oh, yeah. it just you know it just messes with your uh which is probably what you were before and what you are now right like when you were a bond trader you just got a paycheck with your with your uh with the taxes already taken out, and right now you own your company, so you 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 feel that pain, so a lot of this, even though the math doesn't work out it's still it still can affect your quality of life now when it's a degree of ten, like you're saying fifty thousand versus five hundred thousand right you know we really need to think rationally, but you know when it comes to things like you know paying back your paying for a car with cash instead of taking out some low interest rate or you know if your student loans are are, are at like There's something very, you know, once you get your, your, your amount down pretty low, it just feels good to just not have to pay that anymore. So even though rationally, it doesn't make sense because you could make more in a CD on the money that you're being loaned, then. Yeah. So, so I, I, you know, I see, I see both sides of it. And also again, physicians, we have a reputation we have to to live up to about, you know, not managing our money so well.
2: Well, yeah. And and there's, and there's the value of utility too. I mean, in like I mean, even if I know that I'm in the right on on something where there's like a like a lawsuit or something, like when you have a, a frivolous lawsuit thrown at you, even if you know that there's no problem because you're covered with insurance or it's a frivolous thing, like it still stresses the heck out of you, right? And it, it's still you never ever want to be sued ever, even if it's something frivolous. It just it's just a stressful experience for most people, right? So so I think that that that's the problem is is we do get affected by these things. And so one of the things that I, I do do is I, I say, well, okay, if it's a marginal thing, like if for forgiveness maybe shows like a slightly better value, your time is worth something, stress is worth something and avoiding that is very important, right? So if you're going to spend a lot of time on the phone with a loan servicer and just beat your head against the wall, it's going to be so painful and the math is not amazing, then yeah, sure, like pay it back in full and let's talk about why you should do that, right? So it it isn't just math. But a lot of times, like I just try to help save people from what they don't know.
0: So let's talk about that for a little bit. So it seems that people are applying for PSLF, and all of the articles, all of the media coverage is saying that nobody qualifies for it. How, how come there's that idea out there that loan forgiveness is even a farce and nobody's qualifying for it? What's happening in those cases?
2: Yeah. So the, the loans were not set up properly for PSLF until about 2010. So the, you had to do something very complicated to make your loans eligible for PSLF prior to them just becoming totally government loans in 2010, because that's when the government nationalized student loans. And before that, they didn't have the right repayment program set up yet. They didn't have the right kind of loans that were eligible yet. And it was basically a, a bill that was passed for a point in the future. So like so many of us think that you're going to pass the bill right away. And immediately all the benefits are going to be there. Right. So think about like the ACA, like they passed the bill and the subsidies and the program, it didn't kick in for like a couple years. Right. So the, the issue is, is people are all applying with these rules that don't qualify, like by the rule of the program. But all they know is they worked at a not-for-profit lender for 10 years or not-for-profit, sorry, not-for-profit employer for 10 years. And that they think they should qualify, which, you know, maybe they should, but that's not what the what the rule says. That's not what the program says. So the people that are applying getting rejected, it's it's kind of a false selection situation because the people who know that they don't qualify are not applying. And the people who do think that they qualify when they don't are applying. And so you get this really bad rejection rate. And so then you get these really terrible headlines, right? So it's just, uh, it's really unfortunate because bad headlines cause people to do not wise things.
0: So it's like, um trying to buy a concept car. It doesn't exist yet. You can't buy it. It's there in theory, but there's nowhere for you to find it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Like if, yeah, you know, if if you could go down to the Tesla factory and find the, you know, the one and the one that exists in the corner and assemble it correctly, then yeah, sure. You could drive it, but you know, if yeah, your name could be on the waiting list. Right. But you're, you know, most people are just going to have to wait until it's mass produced and it's available. And so people just didn't understand that. So that's, that's what the problem is, is you've got all these people that are not understanding the complexity of how the program started off. And so for that reason, physicians, the first physicians that are going to get PSLF are going to be in 2020, because that's people that knew exactly how to consolidate their loans when they graduated medical school in 2010. So that's the first group of physicians that's going to get it. So that's six months away or actually it's probably more like a year away because, you know, people graduating medical school in 2010. So, so that's the first big group. And then in 2024, that's the first big group of physicians that will have natural student loans that were the, in the exact correct form to get PSLF left without having to do, have done anything. So 2024 is that first group of physicians. that's going to get a massive amount of loan forgiveness that didn't have to do anything special at all. Like talk to somebody like us. So, this problem is gonna be a problem that's going to be correcting itself over time, but unfortunately, you know, people work in a day-to-day kind of environment, not in a year-to-year kind of environment, and this is a crisis that's causing people a lot of stress, and so you get these terrifying headlines that we, we feel the impact in our inbox from it.
0: Wait, so what you're saying is, with regards to their loans, because you, you already said PSLF, there's repay, pay, there's IBR, but if it it's not if you're not able to do it until 2020, How is it that you're helping people
2: now? Well, sure. So, I mean, first of all, there have been people that have gotten PSLF already, but they didn't go to four-year medical school programs. They went to like one or two-year master's degree programs, right? So that's, that's the famous question physicians ask me is, have you talked to any physicians that have gotten PSLF? Well, no, because of the technical way the program was designed, we're only seeing these people that had a very specific kind of set of loans that are getting it the way we're helping people now is under the current rules that exist today you can either cost yourself a lot of money or save a lot of money on a projected basis and that's what we explain to people is you know we're trying to craft the right program or the right plan according to the rules that exist today could those rules change sure but i would wager that the history of student loans in this country is while they've also they've exploded it's become, it's been easier and easier to pay student loans in terms of the actual payment coming out, coming out of your pocket. It's perhaps the easiest it's ever been today. You know, back in the day, thirty years ago, yeah, you know, tuition was a fraction of what it is today, but you had to make the payment no matter what. Nowadays, you know, you can for forbear your loans for up to three years, then you can consolidate and put them on three more years of forbearance. You can put them on an income-driven payment option where you're paying, you know. For fraction of, of, uh, of the debt, you know, you're just paying 10% of your income, which could be almost nothing. So yeah, it's just a, it's a very kind of different world that we live in today.
0: And I feel like physicians should be in the driver's seat with regards to refinancing because the rate at which we default is so extremely low. You know, you have to, you have to know your worth and your worth is pretty high. You are a low risk bet
2: you are and and that can get you in trouble too because because remember of the the difference between the value of forgiveness versus the downside of not refinancing if you should have done that so you're dealing with a so, so let me see if i can come up with an like an analogy for this so you know it's kind of like like you're, you're thinking about yourself as like, you know, a triple A, like perfect bond with zero default risk versus like one that's a little risky and you're worried about giving up that extra little bit of interest, right? But the real risk is this bond's going to default to not pay you any of your principal or interest back. And that's kind of like it is a PSLF. Like everybody's so worried about missing out on that interest savings, that little bit of interest, especially the people that actually do qualify. And then they're, they're not thinking about this massive loss that they could sustain, now uh, I, I know that people are some sometimes kind of worried like oh should I refinance at all with, with the current political environment you know but uh, but but the example the, the reasons are this basically if you have a debt to income ratio so your student debt divided by your income, if that number is less than 1.5 and you're in the private sector that you should refinance there's really almost no situation where that's not true and then if you are in a not-for-profit or academic employer, and you have a debt-to-income ratio above that, you should definitely do PSLF. If you were in a situation where you're in the private sector and you have a debt-to-income ratio above 1.5 to 1, then you might want to consider doing this thing where you pay on the pay or repay programs, but instead of for 10 years, you do it for 20 to 25 years, and then you pay taxes on the forgiven balance at the end of that period. So that sounds terrible, but in reality, for a lot of the people coming out of high-cost private medical schools, that are going into lower paying specialties that can really be kind of a, a miracle worker for somebody's finances versus having to pay $4,000 a month.
0: Yeah. It's just, it's just the math. The The problem is the math, your analogy was trading bonds and this is a physician audience. So it might've been a little over our heads. I think the next analogy may be due with like cholesterol. That might be, that might there be a little go. more in our there wheelhouse. Um, yeah, so yeah. You mentioned politics and you mentioned the possibility of of loan forgiveness. And you know, we had we had an episode a couple of weeks ago about Medicare for All. And, and the long and short of that was at least Medicare for All and on the federal level not gonna happen. Just the political ability to pass something like that is just not there. So what about this student loan forgiveness that the Democrats are talking about? Like because you have some, you know, some people with a lot of debt, and they're saying, should I just stop paying back my debt? Should I, do I have to go work in a nonprofit just so I can enter one of these repayment programs? Or can I just count on the Democrats to elect someone who's going to have their act together and be able to pass, and so I don't have to pay back any of my loans? What, what is a realistic expectation and what's out there in terms of proposals?
2: So, yeah, so that's a great question. So I think that the, the one thing that we have to be aware of is, so the the baseline plan from, like, so Elizabeth Warren, basically, her plan is basically, let's forgive the, the 95% of people with the smallest balances. So the people with six-figure balances, basically, we're not going to forgive any of their debt. That's her kind of baseline plan. And it kind of makes sense in some ways because the people with the Highest balances owe like forty percent of the debt, and it's a relatively small group of people. so you know you can spend a lot less money and cost yourself a lot less money than have this transformative impact for a lot of these lower income people by forgiving just smaller balances and that is the most likely outcome of a democratic even a, a far left candidate that's the most likely outcome because of how expensive forgiving everything would be and another thing too to think about from a practical standpoint, a plumber does not want a Neurosurgeon or a you know a orthopedic surgeon to go to medical school for free. I don't think that fundamentally that person would be wanting to to pay for that or, or wanting you know want to have their tax revenue go to that. Now I do think that that person might support covering medical school costs for primary care physicians. Right. I think that that's something that maybe could get some 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 headway if they reformed the PSLF and, and changed it. So I think that PSLF is absolutely going away at some point. It's a very kind of skewed program, if you think about it. For example, I would say that dentists and veterinarians do good for the public, right? And what difference is there between a dentist and a dermatologist that works at a uh, not-for-profit hospital? I mean, I'm I'm sure you can have some beers and and really debate the utility of both of them, right? But, uh, But I mean, they both help the public. And yet, you know, physicians have this public service loan forgiveness access where a lot of times the people who are working in academic medicine, they can qualify for this. But a lot of times the people, for example, I had a case to the day, there's like a primary care physician or family medicine kind of person making like close to 300 grand that happened to be at a not for profit place, but it was really not for profit in name only. You know, it was really kind of almost like a private employer, you know, in terms of how profit focused it was, but she qualifies for loan forgiveness. And, you know, if you think about it, you know, that's kind of kind of a kind of a thing that's probably not going to have a lot of political support when this actually starts getting paid for. So I think for for the future, if I had to read the tea leaves, I think that everybody's going to get grandfathered in. Every proposal ever has grandfathered in people as that are in medical school when the law would be, you know, it would happen. So everybody that's in school would be fine. You know, so it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt anybody from that regard, but for for future groups of physicians i would absolutely not count on getting any form of of tax free loan forgiveness i think that the the future might hold something like you know you pay your loans for 10% for like 20 to t- 20 to 30 years with no tax bomb and that's the option that you have available to yourself and yeah i've even also seen some reform proposals that would cause that 10% to be a higher percentage the higher income that you have so that's real interesting too. So, in other words, people with small incomes would get huge deductions, and people with high incomes would be heavily incentivized to pay it back. So, you know, I think that the program is definitely going to explode at some point because it's absolutely not sustainable in its current form.
0: But once you're in the program, it's it's like ex post facto. They can't pull the rug out from under you and, and defund it. And then you've been you know, on this path for 15 years and you just have five more and then find out that, that it's lost its funding, right? That, right,
2: right. that can't right. happen. Right. And I've, I've read all the reform proposals, the major ones that have been put out. And every single one of them basically says, if you were in medical school by... Twelve months after this bill's passage, then you are grandfathered into all existing programs, even the Democrat programs, the Republican ones. All of them have had that in place, so that's that's not something to worry about, really at all. In fact, there, there's some people say, "Well, shut every finance at all. The Democrats are just going to forgive it all." I'll say that's not going to happen. But what could happen is there was a bill that the the House Democrats tried to pass that would expand access to make public service loan forgiveness a much broader category. So what I mean by that is, this is kind of a niche thing, but there might be some Kaiser Permanente physicians listening to this. And Kaiser Permanente and and is is weird because of some rules in certain states like California and Texas that don't allow physicians to be directly employed by the hospital. And so in some cases, so those groups of people are not qualifying for PSLF right now. The Democrats' bill would expand that to make that group of physicians eligible. So that's a potentially a group of people that. Might not want to refinance because of you know being able to get it forgiven potentially, but you know the vast majority of people just don't need to worry about this. If you're a private sector, if you like your job, refinance, pay it off. Like honestly, what's what's really kind of funny is if you could take everything that I know now and transport me back in time to 2014 2015, I would have fought Fed loan harder. I would have made sure that we had three years worth of of, of credit towards forgiveness. And then I would have optimized everything so that we probably got like maybe about 40% of our debt would have been forgiven. Okay. So, and this is years ago when I was learning how to do this, but do I regret that we don't have any debt? Absolutely not. (laughs) I mean, in fact, if you make the wrong decision about refinancing, if you screwed it up terribly, if you have a high savings rate, that's actually way more important than having basically made the perfect student loan choice, so I've run a lot of numbers on this, and usually the impact of having you know an extra twenty percent savings rate is about ten five to ten times as important as getting the right student loan strategy in place. So that's just something to encouraging to share. Twenty percent savings rate
0: is a huge amount of
2: money. It is, yeah. Right. And so maybe so you can dial it back and say, well, every extra you know five to ten percent that you increase your savings rate by will maybe be two times as impactful or two to five times as impactful as getting the right loan strategy. So in other words, to, to get getting the right loan strategy, like to value that, it's probably worth around like increasing your savings rate by five months if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, and, and that's right. That's what I said at the beginning of the show. It's the first half of the White Coat Investor and it's the entire cover to cover of The Millionaire Next Door is stop spending all of your money. That's the, that's the best advice that you can get. Live like a resident and, and the rest of it is relatively small in in comparison to making those terrible decisions of the giant physician home and the physician Range Rover and and all the rest of it.
2: Yeah and and I, I, yeah I think that the stu- the primary culprit of the student loans causes is yes people routinely cost themselves five and six figures like I would say 90% of our clients were in a position where they were going to cost themselves five to six figures with what they had been doing so it it is significant costs and mistakes that people are making but i would say the primary culprit that student loans are guilty of is making people make bad decisions and this could be simply like putting off something you really want to do like trying to do your own private practice or starting a family or buying a house. All of these things are decisions that really need to be made kind of independently of your loans once you understand what path to take with them.
0: So you, you mentioned this before. How do we prioritize loan repayment, investing, mortgage, saving for children's education? I mean, you said, right, you uh, tax deferred. If you have a 401k with a match, you have to maximize that. Any tax deferred, Savings options you have, maximize that. But with regards to when you decide to buy a house or starting to save for your kid's 503B, right? When or I'm sorry, 529. How do you prioritize that?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll make a list. So feel free, folks, to go back and, and listen to this. But the first is match. Get your match, 100% returns, the best return you're going to get. Second is emergency fund. You want to have at least three months expenses in the bank, but preferably six months expenses in the bank. So for most physicians, that's going to be anywhere from thirty dollars to $60,000, okay? And then after that is at least 10% into retirement. 10% into retirement is, is something you want to get after you have the emergency fund. You know, that's not the match. You can do more than the match. That's just the minimum you need to get the matching contribution from the employer. And then the the next thing would be, and I would say kind of simultaneously, you just make sure that you have your student loan payment set to on. I mean, to like don't go into default, right? That's kind of like an obvious thing. So pay the minimums in student loans comes probably right after the match, and then once you've done that, ten percent into retirement automatic contribution to a brokerage account of at least a hundred dollars a month. Even if you're in training, do this. So so Vanguard, Betterment, one of those kind of places, hundred dollars a month automatic coming out of your account, and once you're doing that. For most people in residency or fellowship, they're not going to have a lot of money left over to, to do any do much of anything else, which is which is fine. And when you're an attending, the then the priority should be max all retirement accounts, everything. So that's HSA, you know, retirement, everything, and then increase your automatic contribution to a thousand dollars a month instead of a hundred dollars a month, and then if you need to pay down your student loans, feel free to pour everything you've got into paying off your student loans. You don't have a problem with that at all. And like in terms of the mortgage, like it doesn't really matter with the mortgage because you're already paying rent. So I would just tell people to limit their purchase price to their of their home to no more than two times their income. So the, mor- the mortgage is like, it doesn't really matter in terms of what order it happens in, you know, because you can get a physician mortgage to put no money down. So it's not like you have to save a bunch for it. And so I would just tell somebody that the purchase price is the most important thing just limit it to that two times ratio. And then finally, you know, so you're, you're either paying down your student loans really aggressively or instead of that thousand dollar automatic contribution, you are increasing that to whatever you would psychologically have wanted to put into your loans to create a side account to pay off your loans just in case forgiveness doesn't work out. And so, you know, and then so when you're throwing that much money away into investments, Really, like you can do whatever you want with it after you max all those pre-tax accounts. So you're doing at least, you know, a couple thousand into a brokerage account. You could pay down your mortgage. You could put that money into your brokerage even more. You could get into like crowdfunding if that's your thing, or real estate rentals or whatever. That's that's the the most important thing is to get those first steps right. So I know that anybody that listened to that is probably gonna have to rewind it and listen to it again. But uh, but that's just some of the best advice that we've developed after doing a few thousand of these plans.
0: All right, well. We're running short on time. So I just want to ask you one thing that'll give our audience a taste for just how specific you get with your student loan advice. Just give us an idea for, for what is the most esoteric bit of information that you've applied to help someone save money on their student debt? Maybe, maybe it's something that's like specific to one state or one state's income tax, something like that. Just how granular do you get?
2: Okay. Uh, let me think here. So we're going to take a tech, techie like person in like the West Coast married to a resident with a lot of student loan debt, but not like a ton, like, you know, say like 200,000. Right. And so if you look at that, this person's going to be a, a high high paid surgeon. So the training period's about seven years, let's say. Okay so so just to give you an example of how complicated it can be this person is going to pay $2000 a month and just pay it off in full over a 10 year term or they'll just pay it off as rapidly as they can that's like kind of the baseline scenario right but because they live in California California is a community property state and I'm going to lose a lot of people here so I'm just going to say it anyway California is a community property state which means you have to file form I think it's 8958 I've got to check the number but it's like a form where you have to equally distribute your income across both parties so that's only for community property states and there's 9 of those and when you do that that eliminates tax penalties for the most part when you file taxes separately so you've eliminated tax penalties and the problem is is if you had to include your spouse's income you'd pay the loan off fully you get no forgiveness but with this equal distribution of income you'd still have a much higher payment even though you've eliminated the tax penalty so now you have to use something called alternative documentation of income which is regulation that's allowed and So you can pay based off of your paycheck in this specific situation because you can make an argument that your tax return doesn't reflect your income. And when you do that, while filing separately, what you've done is eliminated tax penalties, you get a monthly payment on your loans of about $300 a month, and if you selected the pay-as-you-earn program, you also got a cap on your payment so that when you do make $400,000 a year, then that payment cap is going to allow your payment to be about $2,000 a month, even though you're an attending and those payments still qualify for PSLF. And oh, by the way, if you consolidated it, you would have started the clock four months earlier and saved three payments or four payments of $2,000 as an attending that you replaced with payments as $300 as a resident. So the projected savings of perfectly optimizing that would be in the neighborhood of about $300,000.
0: Well, that was pretty impressive. I can't say I followed the whole thing, I'm not living in California, but, uh, the fact that you get, you're able to get that specific with each individual and just have that information at your fingertips is, is very impressive. So, and clearly from what you're telling us, the sooner that people get in touch with you, the better, right? Cause, cause you're able to help them as, as residents and then as residents make that transition to, to attending. So sooner the better. So what, what are the services that you offer at Student Loan Planner?
2: So it's, uh, the, the consult service is the core service. Uh, that's 300 to 600 bucks. And, uh, and basically all you, all you have to do for that is, uh, just go to the site, student dot com slash help. And we just, it's kind of depending on your debt amount. You just work with one of our consultants and that's, that's how we determine the 300 to 600 bucks. And uh and we just come up with a plan. Most I would say eighty to ninety percent of people don't really need any follow-up after getting that initial plan because we do a really good job making sure that you understand things completely, which is the part that lacks in most cases. And then that's one that's our main service. And then the kind of service that we provide that's really not a paid service, although we get paid from it is the student loan refinancing. So unlike something like disability insurance or term life insurance, where there's no discounts given in the sense of the person gets their commission no matter what, right? You might've heard that when you're shopping for insurance, like the commission is a commission. It's, you know, even if you buy direct this, the commission still exists. So you don't get a discount in other words, just because there's a commission. But what we've done, just like, you know, other physician websites have done is basically negotiate the best cashback bonuses in the industry. So we'll go to lenders, use the fact that we bring them lots of volume, and negotiate ever higher cashback bonuses for borrowers. So we have bonuses in the neighborhood of like, the average one's like $500, but we have ones up to $750, even $1,000 sometimes. And you get that on top of the lower interest rate when you refinance. Studentloanplanner.com refi. Is a list where you can get you know some of those those bonuses. So I'm glad to say now that we have all the major lenders on there. One of them just got added to to another one of the lenders too. So so there's no reason why you can't use our links or you know some of the other people we mentioned on the episode their links too. But yeah, I think that we I'm excited that we get people really good deals there. You know, people don't even have to, they don't have to pay us. They can just go to the website and use it. They don't even have to talk to us. We probably refinance probably at least a hundred people a month. And uh, we probably only talk to maybe like 10 of them.
0: That sounds like an incredible system. So the website studentloanplanner.com,
2: where else can people find you
0: online? You've got your own podcast too.
2: We do. Yeah. The student loan planner podcast, uh, you know, you can subscribe the same way you'd subscribe to to this show. And uh, we, we have, uh, you know, pretty like active, across different social media. Basically, if you search student loan planner on all the social media that's out there, Pinterest, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, we're, we're on there. And then, yeah, I would say that the the probably the best thing for somebody listening, so you either have the money right now or you're a broke resident and you don't, right? So if you, if you don't have the money, then just go on the uh, website and, and there's actually a category for physicians. We have tons of content on there. We have a PSLF category. Read that stuff. That will... That will give you a lot of the information that you need. Other sites that are not my own, benwhite.com is a really good website written by a physician who really understands PSLF excellently. And he has a good book out too on Amazon that you could read. And then also there's a PSLF Physicians Facebook group. So if you go on online to Facebook and get added to that group, there's a lot of good advice given in that group. So I think that there's an obviously a you know, white coat investor and, and some of the other ones out there. So so there's lots of resources out there. I don't want to, anybody to feel like they have to pay to get help. But that said, there probably is value in, in getting help from somebody that deals with this every day, many times a day versus you know, a lot of my financial advisor friends will joke that they deal with it three times a year.
0: <laughs> Travis Hornsby, studentloanplanner.com. Thank you so much for being on the show.
2: Thanks for having me on, Brad.